0: So my is Alfred, and we're going to be talking about missions today, and we're going to have a couple people uh, speak about missions uh, today, and next week we're also going to have uh, Pastor Moses, who's going to come uh, talk about uh, his work at the uh, First Nations Reserve. So we've got a couple things to focus on, on, uh, on mission work. Um, but before I invite the, the different people to come talk, uh, I want to uh, meditate a little bit on some verses uh, related to missions. And I wanted to start off with um, a book, uh, a quote from a book. It's, uh, it's called Radical by David Platt. Uh, David Platt, um, I guess uh, he became a, uh, he, was, he was 26 years old when he became uh, the church of a mega, past, uh, mega church, pastor of a mega church, and uh, it's called Church at Brook Hills. Um, and so that was his like initial thing. And so if you're 26, you know you, you too can become a pastor. Uh, you're never too young. Uh, but uh, one of the things he shares about uh, missions, he was talking. Yeah, he so he's gone on the mission field several times. And I'm going to share a little passage in the book where he um, has went to meet with a uh, a, a church that had supported him. And at that time, he shared about his work in New Orleans, working with the uh, poor and the homeless there, as well as work overseas. And he shared with them at a home of uh, one of the deacons. And this is the response he got. Um, Said, expecting them to share in my excitement, I paused to listen for their response. After an awkward silence, one of the deacons leaned forward in his chair, looked at me and said, David, I think it's great you're going to these places. But if you ask me, I would just assume God annihilate all those people and send them to hell. That's exactly what he said. I was shocked and speechless. I had no idea what to say in response. I wish I had said something, but I'm still not sure what I would have said. Annihilate them? Send them to hell? After a moment's silence, the rest of the room resumed conversation as if nothing out of the ordinary happened. So that was his his response to this church. And then he went to speak the next morning, and he shared about his work with, uh, with people. And then after he spoke, the pastor got up to speak, and he says it gets worse. This is what he said. Um, the pastor said, Brother David, we are so excited about all, those, uh, all that God is doing in New Orleans and in all the nations. And we are excited that you are serving there. And, Brother, we promise that we will continue to send you a check so we don't have to go ourselves. But he wasn't finished. I remember, this is the pastor speaking, I remember a time at my last congregation when a missionary from Japan came to speak. I told that church that if they didn't give financial support to this missionary, I was going to pray that God would send their kids to Japan to serve with that missionary. Wow. Did that pastor just threaten his congregation with the punishment of going to the world? He continued, And my church gave that man a laptop and a whole lot of money. Apparently, the threat worked. The service was dismissed, and my wife and I climbed in the car to drive home. I could hardly believe the things I had heard. A range of emotions consumed me, anger, sadness, disappointment, confusion. But I began to process what had happened over the last 24 hours. I was struck by a frightening realization. Could it be that this deacon and this pastor express what most professional Christians in America and Canada today believe but are not bold enough to say? This may sound a bit harsh, but consider the reality. How many of us are embracing the comforts of suburban America and Canada while we turn a deaf ear to inner cities in need of the gospel? How many of us are settled into the U.S. that we have never once given serious thought to the possibility that God may call us to live in another country? And how often are we willing to give a check to someone as long as we don't have to go to the tough places in the world ourselves? How many of us parents are that God, praying that God will raise up our children to leave our homes and go overseas, even if that means they may never come back? And how many of us are devoting our lives to taking the gospel to people in hostile religions, regions around the world where Christians are not welcome? Certainly few of us would be so bold as to say we would just as soon as God annihilate all these people and send them to hell. But if we do not take the gospel to them, isn't that where they will go? Meanwhile, Jesus commands us to go. He has created each of us to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I propose that anything less than radical devotion to this purpose is unbiblical Christianity. Well, it's pretty, pretty tough words. So you have to read the book to figure out the rest of what he says. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't let up, though. So it's, a, it's quite a challenging book. I want to meditate on a couple of verses uh, regarding mission. So the first one is from Matthew chapter 28. Otherwise known, it's the great commission. So this is what uh, Jesus said, just as uh, he's going to go to heaven after he finished um, working with all the disciples. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Um, well, the great commission starts with 19, but it starts with a th- the word therefore. So every time you see a word like therefore, you have to peel on back and see what the what the verse before says. And it says, all authority in heaven and earth has given to me, therefore. Because the disciples are going, hey, now are you going to, like, take over uh, the kingdom because they were expecting, like, a revolution to overthrow the Roman government, that kind of stuff. But Jesus doesn't say that. Instead, he says, therefore. uh, He starts off by saying, heaven and earth, all authority has been given. That's the first, first thing. Then he goes, therefore, go and make disciples... Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And we can argue, well, do you have to baptize everyone? That's that's a sermon for another day, I guess. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you all to the very ends of the age. So he has a command here that we have to go to all the nations. All right, it says, go and make disciples of all nations. And some people often say, well, missions is a calling. It's only for those who are called to missions. But it, it, it's kind of funny how we take some verses that Jesus says and say, well, that applies to everybody. But the verses I don't like only applies to a few people. So when, you, when we say, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, we say, well, that applies to everyone. Well, Jesus only said that to one person, Nicodemus. Uh, go and make disciples of all the nations. And no, that only applies to certain people, only those who are called. So we have to really think about what Jesus said. And if we're going to say, for God's of love the world applies to every single person, even though you're speaking to one person, I think we have to think, um, go and make disciples of all the nations it applies to every single one of us as well. And we can't just pick and choose which one we, we like uh, the best. Same situation. And now we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Another verse to meditate on. And so, um, verse 8 starts with the word but. So just like therefore, you have to look at the verse before. What, why, is he, why is there a conjunction between? What's, what's the verse before? And it's kind of the same thing. It's, uh, the, the disciples are wondering, hey, is, are you he taking over uh, Rome? Are you going to overthrow the evil government now? And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times and dates of the Father. So we, we shouldn't worry about, you know, when is Jesus going to overthrow all the evil in the world? And when is he going to come and take over? And he says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So if you're scared about going to all the nations, just, just as I would, um, mission starts with from the outside, where, where the Spirit gives us power. It doesn't come within us. It comes from outside. The Spirit gives us power to us. And then it goes on he goes on to say, and, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So there's this 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 progression where you start locally in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria gets further and to the ends of the earth it gets further out. And if you read uh, the book of Acts and and you should. It's pretty good. Um, that's what actually they do. They start with Jerusalem, and then they move on further out and further out eventually. That's, the, that's actually the pattern they fill. And um, the hardest part in all those steps is actually Jerusalem. The hardest opposition. you got to remember, they just crucified Jesus, and, and people weren't happy with Christians. But That was the hardest part, actually starting with the city they lived in and then moving on from there, moving forward. So those are the couple of verses that, that for you to massage in your mind and meditate in your mind as we uh, listen to uh, the various people. So the first person uh, we're going to listen to is Miss Christy Vue. Where is Christy? I much desire to speak with her. So here, Christy is going to tell us a little bit about her trip to Guatemala, and I'm just going to ask her some questions. We'll we'll have the flowers between us,
1: so
0: there's something. (laughs) Uh, So you want to start with um, where you went, and I know you have pictures to show us.
1: Sure, yeah. I went to Guatemala, and most people don't even know where Guatemala – I didn't know where Guatemala was, but it's actually right beside Mexico, and I was based in a tiny mountain village about four hours north of the capital, so that little red dot, if you can see it, called Tactique. Um, so I was there for five months working with an organization called Impact Ministries, um, just doing a lot of different stuff. But, yeah, that's basically where I was. It's a like a really high-altitude, beautiful, mountainous area. It rained a lot, so it was pretty much like Vancouver. Um, so I didn't have to adjust to the weather that much.
0: And what are uh, some of the things uh, you, you did there? Uh,
1: I pretty much got placed wherever they needed help. So I was in a school for most of my mornings. Um, This organization built five Christian elementary schools in uh, different mountainous villages. So I was based in one of them with a grade one class every morning doing kind of classroom support stuff. And then in the afternoons, I worked in their sponsorship office translating um, letters that kids would write to their sponsors. So if you have a sponsor kid and you get those letters written to you by them, that's what I did. So you could read them um, in your own language. And at night, we had a bunch of groups that came so we, um, that came to volunteer with us, so we would take them to different events and hang out with them and things like that.
0: So, And, and here's a quick plug. Uh, if you're a parent of a youth, you can send them to, to a summer youth celebration where Chrissy was sharing about her, her full trip to Guatemala because we don't have time to, to get into all of it uh, today. Um, tell us a little bit more about uh, the people there and what the environment is there, uh, and then we've talked about this for the, just the children that you work with and the parents of the children
1: yeah and, and totally <laughs> yeah um so the the people in guatemala it's a latin culture so it's really warm and family-based and everyone's really friendly and we were in a small town so um, when you would walk around town you would start to get to know people and you'd kind of recognize like five different people on a short walk and People would welcome you into their homes and, like, embrace you as a family member immediately. It was great. Like, um, you're loved immediately, pretty much. Um, And I love that about Latin culture. But um, the area we were in was also really poor. Um, And in Guatemala, it's kind of tough because um, people are so poor, there's not really any way to get out of it sometimes. Like, here, I think we have a sense that, um, especially for a lot of people that have immigrated from other countries, like most of this church, um, like, if you work hard enough you can get ahead and you can build a life for yourself and eventually things will be okay you'll be financially secure you'll have a good job a good legacy for your kids but there no matter how hard you work um you can never get ahead so there's a lot of problems with that because um especially dads that are supposed to provide for their families they have no option to improve their situation so there's a lot of hopelessness and then a lot of dads end up drinking a lot Um, Which means that they beat their wives as well, and they abuse their children, and there's just these cycles of poverty that cause people, cause families to be in such difficult situations. Um, And so a lot of the families are really broken, and a lot of the kids are um, really, like they come from really tough backgrounds, where they come home every night to a dad that's drunk and might beat them, things like that. Um, And so... I think one of the diff- difficult parts of that area is the family breakdown because, like, there's not a lot of um, marriage. That's not really a thing there. Like, the way that families are formed is that, like, a, a teenage guy will find a girl that he likes and then knock her up and they start living together and having kids. And then at some point he gets bored after four kids and then he moves on to another girl. But then all those people still live in the same area, so no one moves because they don't, they can't afford to move. So, like, one kid will have, a, like, a... A um, half brother, like down the street, because his dad, like, moved on to another woman, that kind of thing. So it's a, it's kind of messy. Like, family is a big deal there, but it's really confusing because there's such breakdown and there's such turmoil within families, um, and that results in a lot of kids being um, kind of left on their own and living in really tough situations.
0: You know, uh, Chrissy, when when Grace and I get uh, letters from our sponsored child. It, it, it says stuff like, "Oh, you know, I have three brothers, sisters. I have five goats, and that kind of stuff. We're happy. That all that. Um, why, like, like a, a criticism mission is, you know, like I should be happy. I'm like, hey, I'm supporting missions. Why do people go on missions? Like, what, you know, isn't it better for me just to send money and sponsor children this way? Like, what, what why go, actually go there?
1: I think it's different when you see it for yourself." Um. I mean, not everyone can go, and I understand that, but if you can, I encourage people to because when you see things for yourself or when you um, actually know people, it changes things. Like, I think that's what impacted me a lot when I was down there. I worked in the sponsorship office, and um, I was editing a lot of the files that kids would send to their um, sponsors, like the things like, oh, I live in this house with my five brothers, my nine brothers usually, and then, like, with our goats and everything (laughs) because I have big families there. Um, and I think the sense that I was getting, because I knew a lot of these kids, like, when I was reading the, the bios of the kids in my class, I could be like, oh, I know that kid, like, I know their personality, I know their brother and sister, like, I know what they're like in class, and sometimes when I walked around the village, I would actually get to visit their houses, and then when you're there, then you see the dad come home, and his eyes are a little red, and, and the kids kind of, like, shrink back when they see him, and then you start to, like, that part of their family unfolds, and I think that changes you. Like, and then you hear the stats of how many parents or how many families are broken and how many dads are alcoholic, and then you can start to see in kids' personalities that, um, yeah, they don't receive that kind of love at home, or you can see markers of abuse. It makes you angry. Yeah, it does make me angry. Like, when when you hold all these files in front of you, And you begin to know, like, this family has this problem and this father abuses his kids. Like, it makes you angry. Like, these are God's children and you can't, like, no one should touch them that way. And
0: and as a sponsor, that's not in my letter. The the person's not writing, this person's dad had red eyes in the morning and I suspect that that your child is being beaten. It just doesn't show up on these letters.
1: Yeah, like it's the side of life that you don't see. Like sponsorship is great because it gives kids a different opportunity and it gives them a safe environment to grow up in and provides them with a lot of material goods. But the other side of it is their home life and the things that we can't really report. I
0: I wanted to end your segment with some hope. And you had shared with a group of us about um, some hope that you see and some changes that you've seen in in Pactique.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think what I was struck by when I was there was the way that God's kingdom was growing there um, through the kids. Um, their primary ministry in Impact was to have schools for kids, and they, their mission wasn't so much to give kids like an educational boost, even though that was a huge part of it. It was to teach kids how to worship, and so you can see pictures of these kids like just worshiping in the morning. Every morning, we would have a devotional at each of the elementary schools, at 7.30 in the morning, um, which was pretty early for me. And they would just gather, and the kids would sing at the top of their lungs. like They'd be screaming. Um, And you could see it. Like, you could see the desperation they had for God. And and that was amazing to me. Like, God was working in these kids' lives, even in the backgrounds they had. Like, they were just crying out to God because they were so desperate for him. Um, And God was healing them. I could see that in the way that they worshipped. And I think the cool thing was that that kind of worship and that legacy of what they were doing every morning was impacting their families. Like a lot of, um, one of the requirements that kids um, in the elementary schools had to do was they had to go to a church service as part of their Bible class and take notes. Um, And so we would like give them a stamp if they went to church that week. And um, that meant that their families would have to take them to a church. And so a lot of the times these broken families would come to church just to bring their kid for a requirement.
0: And then gradually,
1: like, maybe the dad would start to, like, soften his heart and then give his life to the Lord. And then eventually he'd figure out, oh, I guess, like, beating my wife isn't something God wants me to do. Or I guess I can't abuse my child. And they see the way that their kids worship, and they start to be transformed by that. And I think one of the most beautiful things I saw there was um, every morning the kids sing. And, like I said, they sang at the top of their lungs. And it's not a very big town, so, like you could kind of, from one side of town, you could hear the kids worship from the other side. Like, you could hear it kind of kind of waft over the whole town, especially when the wind would blow. Like, in the morning at 7.30, you knew, because, like, the whole town would hear these kids singing. And that was really beautiful. Like, and that was changing people, people's awareness of God's presence in that area and the way that kids' voices can kind of break through in ways that other methods can't sometimes. And there's so many stories of, like, construction workers working outside the school that don't really have any connection to church, but they hear these kids sing, and they're like, wow, then I started coming to church, and I just felt God's presence when I would would hear these kids sing. Um, So I think what excites me about my time in Guatemala is that I saw how God was transforming communities and transforming people's lives, and how his kingdom was being built, because that's really what missions is about, right? Like... It's seeing the way that God can um, recreate something and the way that he can redeem something that's lost and broken and the way that he transforms it and builds something new. And that that part excites me.
0: Thank you, Chrissy. Looking forward to hearing you uh, speak uh, later this summer. Pastor Chrissy. And now I'd like to welcome Mr. Stephen Chang, who's going to speak a little bit of his time with Emus. You can clap for him, too.
2: (laughs) Um, In May this year, um, a group of uh, about 70 um, people, uh, with doctors and surgeons and uh, operating uh, room nurse, and uh, people who have no medical knowledge like me um, went uh, to uh, a town in the Southern China. And you can see the land that uh, I took uh, in that part of um, uh, China, that's the, uh, it's very mountainous and the people have to farm on the hillside and stuff. So it's not very rich area. The town we went is pretty modern, but um, What around is a lot of villages and uh, very rural areas, and there are a lot of needs uh, because uh, people from those towns uh, doesn't have cannot afford to to, uh, uh, do surgery if they have any injuries and so on. So next, so this is a group uh, of brother and sister from uh, Canada that's uh, flying over, um, and we met at the uh, Hong. I think it's the Hong Kong airport there. And we took the pictures. Next, and we brought along a lot of uh, medical supplies. You can see the suitcases and we have to sort them out. Uh, not me, but the, the nurses and so on. And uh, next, and we did about about 70 surgeries um, or 60 surgeries um, different people and some, someone will need two surgeries to correct the problems. Um, and you can see the, the people do uh, action. I, I, I took a lot of those pictures, but um, with, with actually seeing the the, um, the wound and open and stuff like that. But I'm not sh- going to show any today, so don't worry. Um, next. So the question is, with so many people, with so many airplane tickets and hotel room and foods and... You can think about the salaries of those people and so on. Is it is it really worth the effort and effort? And um, you know, we can usually just send the money over and have the doctors over there and do the surgery. We probably can actually do more than sixty that that um, if we send that amount of money over. Next, but if you see a few photos from. Uh, after the surgeries, you can see that like these are people have gone through a lot of, uh, I guess, pain, actually not that painful. I, I, I'll tell you a bit later. It's, it's pain, but um, but they are happy that they, they have the opportunity because otherwise they were not able to afford uh, the surgery. Next. And there are a lot of children that, uh, um, that operate on. Next. And they are, they are older kids and older, uh, teenagers and so on too. Next. So after seeing those, I, I to me, it's already worth it. It's, um, these people cannot afford it. And uh, the people go, went, actually uh, volunteer the time. So it's no salary involved, um, So I think it's already worth it, but there are a lot more uh, that make it worthwhile. Next. Now, what is this to do with uh, the trip? Bef- when I booked my holidays uh, vacation with my uh, company and uh, they know about, uh, I, I told them this, uh, this um, short-term mission I'm, go- I'm going and they really touched, generally touched that, oh, somebody, you know, take vacation time to do this. So they actually organized a uh, fundraising activities uh, to raise funds for EMIS. So next. And they are very creative. So it's China, they they organize a ping pong tournament. (laughs) So every next, uh, every lunch hour uh, for two weeks, we have teams that competing and they actually have a very good system to raise funds. They will have to buy the team and they have to, they can trade players in order to win. So a different department will have to, uh, you know, organize and and everybody participate and, and contribute some money. And next. Um, so it's, it's, it's they're a witness for the wider community. Like the people, most of the people in our, uh, my company doesn't know Christ and maybe they may heard of it, but then they will see um, there are a, a group of Christian that's um, you know, uh, willing to spend time doing this type of thing. So next. And um, there are families member for those uh, patients that, are. Uh, usually came from the uh, villages and and with uh, stay with the kid and and so they are really uh, witnessing god's work in um, the children so it's a lot of the loved one and and it's really uh, I, f- I think the impact is for them is is pretty large next and they allow uh t- opportunity to oper- um to uh, interact with uh, the family's members uh, these are two uh, speech fer- therapists with a lot the uh cleft lips and stuff that need to, um, to, you know to learn how to speak properly and so on to, to help them. And uh, so a lot of interaction with the family's members next. And this, uh, the dental area, uh, they do this dentistry, dentistry work there. Uh, there are dentists um, on the, upper corner there, and there is actually a dental uh, hygienist that's very energetic that went went around and asked all the family members whether they want their teeth fixed and so on. So I end up there like, you know, everybody want their teeth fixed, got a chance at this clinic, and the dentist said this is the busiest year (laughs) for him because there's so many people. And the impact there is is quite, quite, um, you know, quite uh, immense for these families and friends of the patients. Next. Um, and also, uh, we need a lot of support from the local staff. Uh, you can see uh, Uncle, uh, Auntie Susan there. You can see when transferring a patient uh, from the operating room to the uh, ward that they're gonna uh, recover from in, uh, they would um, they would need uh, some local staff to help them. And uh, we, there are a couple of doctors and, and help transfer this patient. And they see uh, um, the actions uh, for of, of a group you know, of um, Christian from uh, uh, North America to, to do this work regularly. This is not like the first time this is, they have been there for 10 years. So a lot of them know uh, the nurses and doctors that went over next. So, um, when i was in my, in my scrub suit, you will see one uh, later. Um, so I have my mask and my hat on and my scrub suit on. And the uh, one time, uh, a, doc, a local doctor, um, ladies came over and say, oh, I'm so glad to see you Dr. So-and-so. And so and say, <laughs> okay. <laughs> and actually almost give me a hug. I said, I'm not Doctor So and so <laughs> mistaken. So but they, you can see the um, the friendliness and the impact for the uh, you know, for the the local uh, resident nurses and doctors there is quite, you know, in, uh, deep in and um, I would I would um, you know um, think that uh, for ladies that want to give a hug, we, this is China, remember. Very country. <laughs> um it's it's really they are they're very uh, touched by these uh, people that went uh, next so this is me uh uh taking a picture of this 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 is the cutest kid so i, I have to t- uh, I have to put this picture on this is what i did uh, at the first day in the kind um they call the uh, screening process to uh to make sure we have photos of the of the patient before, and then and then we'll take pictures after, during surgery and after. Next, this is in my scru- in a first structure. <laughs> Next, so I myself learned a lot uh, about surgeries, <laughs> the procedures, and um, I didn't faint, um, and uh, I'm. I I won't say I'm not afraid of surgery anymore, but I I can see that, um, you know, I can now trust the the nurses and doctors. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Uh, Maybe not. A few times it was a little bit crazy, but (laughs) in in the surgery room, seeing the, the actions. Okay, next. And you can see the teamwork for people who came from different parts of the world. They never met each other, and they actually... Able to, you know, to do a very intricate kind of procedures, and and they all know what they're doing, and the teamwork and the the joy in, in, in the you know the faces when they're issue to deal with, and they're like short of surprise and so on, um, is very um, you know, um, I would say, amazing to to watch. Uh, how God can put all these people together, and they 're so cooperative so so willing willing to to help uh, the locals um, um, that need help next and we have lots of fun I can tell you that that uh, when every morning we walk to the ho- uh, hospital um, and we have a lot of time to share to uh to uh, meditate on god 's word and um, devotions so those are very precious time and and um, you can see God's hands definitely at work there next so at night sometimes we have to this is fake picture we just take this is the IT team so we, we have to take pictures of ourselves so <laughs> but we do uh, do a little bit of work at night to uh, to organize the files and so on next so definitely impact of people who um, who went there to, to uh, on the mission trip uh, in the various way and this is definitely worth uh, the effort of going next and gets back to the patient and the